This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. This is the Day After podcast on Inside Carolina, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Buck Sanders, uh, long-winded question or non-question to you is everybody talks about the. it's not the destination, it's the journey. Well, Carolina's two and two, which is a destination that I believe any uh, member of the fan base with reasonable expectations would have hoped to uh, get to. It's the journey that folks are having a problem with. So, Buck, your thoughts on the journey thus far for North Carolina football to get to this two and two record heading into Clemson? Well, you know, for starters, I would think that. If nothing else, this football season so far has been really exciting. You've had four games decided by a single score. You've had four now, count them, four in four games, comebacks in the fourth quarter by UNC. Um, it's arguable, and we could talk about whether a fourth quarter comeback is uh, should have been required in every single game, but uh, whatever else you want to call it, it has been exciting. And, you know, I think for me personally, uh, because of all the losses that I've watched UNC experience over the years, these past two are unlike uh, a about 90% of those losses. This wasn't 41 to 19 in Greenville yesterday. So I think, you know, part of what the journey is, is that you win and lose close games, you learn from it and you move on. And I think that's a lesson that we're going to have to learn again and again, uh, even as the rest of the season unfolds, I'm prepared for more games where it's not going to be decided until somebody's final drive. But at least it's exciting football. May not be the result you want, but it's exciting. I agree with that, certainly. Uh, there's a lot of years lost on lives for folks that live and die Carolina football, certainly in the first month of the season. Jason, Mac Brown, before the year started, said straight up, first 22, we're, we're pretty good football team. And he believed they could win quite a few ball games. But he said if it got into the depth um, of the team, that's where they were going to struggle. Well, we're four games in, and Carolina has, I think, one player that played against South Carolina on that offensive line or, or started or whatever was out there against uh, Appalachian State yesterday. 
just mind-boggling, the injury issues, but the depth is just not there yet. And Mac Brown hit the nail on the head over a month ago. Well, you know, it turns out Mac Brown is not an idiot and, um, you know, has a, a good sense of what he's looking at on the football field, which I guess if you're a national championship winning head coach, that that's not surprising. And yeah, I mean, if you want to look at the results right now, I mean, I, I think Buck's day after column hits it on the head when he points out, look, on this on on the starting lineup for the offense against App State, every single offensive lineman was either a freshman or a sophomore. Well, you know, that's not normally a way that you that's not normally what you want. You want third, fourth, fifth year guys on your offensive line, guys that have played together and all of that. And and they had some some experience on that offensive line to start the season. And those guys didn't play. You know, and and what you want is you want to be as health you want to be healthy as long as possible in a season. You I, I imagine that when Mac was talking about dipping into the depth, he wasn't thinking about games three and four of the season having to having to jump in and do that but you know that's just the way things have been and it's not just that there have been injuries it's that there's been injuries that have been clustered and that that that's what makes it worse is if you have five or six injuries you can you can kind of deal with it if they're not say four injuries on the offensive line or three injuries on the offensive line and uh you know an injury to your best defensive lineman and, and different things like that, where the injuries happen is just as important as that they're happening. And, and I think that's, that's a factor, but all that said, this is a team that really still should have won the last two games, even with dipping into that depth. I thought they, the, this was very much a, you remember the Denny grain rant a few, a few uh, years ago where he said, you know, they are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. And I feel like that's got to be how the Carolina coaching staff and players feel right now about the last two games is, man, you know, you're like three plays from being undefeated right now, four plays from being undefeated. And that's the, those are the margins in college football and the, the difference between really being on track for the success that you, that you hope for and not being quite there being you know having two losses on your on your record and in this one it's just a matter of some so far this season some uncharacteristic uh big plays that they gave up against app which again we talked about in the preseason this defense as good as bateman is at at uh as a coordinator and, and at making sure his guys tackle well and and uh, and at making making sure that his defense doesn't give up a lot of big plays. That's something we talked about in the preseason is that just personnel-wise, this defense was going to give up some big plays. And it did. And this game, those big plays are really what cost him. There were, I mean, I, I could highlight a couple plays in particular that they, they were just devastating. I mean, and, and I, I think really more than anything, the two long quarterback runs are, are what, what killed this team and, and ultimately uh, killed the the chance of winning. And ultimately you've got to be able to stop those. You've got, you could also on the offensive side, talk about a couple of the turnovers and 
all of a sudden you go from uh, with changing out, say, the two quarterback runs and a couple turnovers, suddenly you're winning by 21, 24 points. But again, like uh, like Buck said in his column, if you know ifs and buts for candy and nuts, well, that's that's where things are. But at the at, at at the end of the day, this is not the kind like like was already said. This is not the kind of loss that we've seen in recent years. The old old saying goes, you know, lose big, lose close, win close, win big is the is sort of the the stages of rebuilding a program. And right now, they're losing close. They've lost close the, the in in the last two games, and they won close in the prior two, which easily could have been losses. I mean, this team could very easily be zero and four right now. And this team could very easily be four and zero right now. That's that, and that's what happens when you play a lot of toss-up games, a lot of fifty-fifty games, and and really we're at two and two. It kind of where the inside Carolina staff, I think, pretty much all of us had Carolina two and two or so coming out of these four games. So sort of on schedule, but the injury situation and, and things moving forward is is concerning, and they're going to have to find a way to. Uh, survive next week with as as little damage as possible moving forward and and be able to uh work their way into uh better things for after the Clemson game. Look, let me we've mentioned your column and it's certainly a great column if folks hadn't read it yet. It's always there on the day after. It goes hand in hand with this podcast a lot of times and one part you lead with um I want to talk about a little bit is you know everybody says you should not lose to Appalachian State. And I agree with that. At no point should Carolina lose to Appalachian State or any other non-ACC in-state school. Some people say they shouldn't lose to the in-state schools. And Matt Brown did a great job of that in, in his first tenure, at least on the back half of that tenure. But the fact of the matter, Buck, and what people need to understand and when they check their expectations is that this program's in position to lose to those type schools. It is what it is, and folks need to realize it's always funny to me when people say, how could you beat Miami and South Carolina but lose to Wake and App State? And like Jason said, it's a miracle they're not 4-0. It's a miracle that they're not 0-4, and And yet here we are. I mean, I see UCLA down 49-17 to in the third quarter last night against Washington State and come back to win. It's just the nature of college football. It is not as simple as recruiting rankings and stars and all that, Buck. I saw Appalachian State team that flat wore Carolina out at times. Your thoughts on, A, the should never lose to in-state schools, and B, what about scheduling them? Because I think it's a no-win proposition ever for a Carolina team, um, especially in football, to play those guys. Well, that's about uh, – usually you don't give me a question, but this time you gave me about four. So if I can remember <laughs> them, I'll try to answer them. Um, the first with the you should never lose to question. You know, as I pointed out, North Carolina was a two-and-a-half point home favorite. Now, if you're a two-and-a-half home favorite, whether you're playing – Mercer or Alabama, you're going to lose a significant number of those games if that's how Vegas has you sized up as a two and a half point favorite. The study that I cited, a two and a half point favorite lost over 50% of the time in those games. 
in this particular game, just judging the where the two teams stacked up against each other, this was essentially a pick 'em game. In this particular year, this particular time, that's how where these two teams were, and actually, it sort of worked out that way. Only. Appalachian State won by three points. So to ask to that question, sure, you don't want to lose, uh, particularly teams, regardless of what their name is, if you're going to be running into a substantial number of their fans on a regular basis and you have to hear that noise you know, when you've lost a game. So there's that piece. Now, now you've lost me. What was the other part of your question? <laughs> Even scheduling them. A, a lot of people yeah, have – it is ridiculous to schedule these teams. I'm kind of up in the air on that, but your thoughts? Well, you know, there are times when I have thought it was a good idea to play East Carolina uh, just because typically those games get a lot of local media coverage. If North Carolina is playing – uh, ECU in Greenville, every little uh, newspaper east of uh, I-95 is going to have somebody there. Uh, everybody in the community is going to be talking about football. Football is going to dominate the conversation. Uh, so from that aspect, it's good. But you're right uh, on the piece of it, it is kind of a no-win proposition for North Carolina. If they beat uh, Appalachian State, everybody says, well, you should have beat them anyway. If you lose, well, then you're just terrible, and your entire fan base is uh, irate that you've lost to a uh, you know, somebody that's traditionally not been in the – even in – they've only been in the FBS six years. So uh, to lose to a team like that, that, they equate that with losing to an FCS team, and it's not the case. So. Uh, you know, I kind of agree a little bit with your sentiment. I don't know how those two factors balance out, but I, I agree that there's uh, something of a no-win situation when you schedule teams like Appalachian or East Carolina. Jason, I want to come to you about a couple of things as we dig a little deeper, maybe some concerns, some legitimate concerns about what's going on with this football team. But I'm going to talk about Johnny T-shirt first. Johnny T-Shirt, of course, the place to get your Carolina gear on Franklin Street and online, johnnytshirt.com. Get anything you need. There's a lot of yellow and black in Keenan Stadium on Saturday. I'm sure there'll be a fair amount of orange, but people, the Carolina fans specifically, need to wear some Carolina blue or at least Carolina white when they're in Keenan Stadium to offset those visiting teams. Johnny T-Shirt can certainly help you out with that. Visit them on Franklin Street on game days or if you're in town, Anytime in Chapel Hill, and certainly all the time, 24-7 online, you'll get the great uh, customer service either way, online or in person. You go in person, you get to meet those guys. They're wonderful folks, certainly Carolina alums. And if you're an Inside Carolina subscriber, you get that 10% off that order. Can't beat it. JohnnyT-Shirt.com, Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, the place, the place to get your Carolina gear. Jason, I've got a couple things I want to talk to you about uh, and we can discuss as a group, but let's go in on maybe the simplest one, I think, and that's this time management issue. I don't know if it's an issue, but it's certainly concerning, at least watching from afar. It seems 
that four games in, Carolina's had problems managing the clock at either the end of the half or at the end of the games. And I want to get your thoughts. You've coached the game. You've played the game. I just think it's it shouldn't be as complicated as it is um, that or, or that the staff is making it to be, yet I did watch – um, plenty of games when I got home and either even in Georgia and Notre Dame, they were screwing up time management at the end of the game and at the end of the halves. But your thoughts on at what point does this have to get corrected and what is the problem leading to it not being corrected by now? I wish I could answer that question. Um, it, as, what is the point that it has to get corrected? Uh, it should have been corrected already. And this is one place where you know, Mac has to do a better job. I mean, that's that's on the head coach first, first and foremost. That's on the head coach. But some head coaches will will designate a guy on their staff, maybe a maybe somebody in the booth to to be the time the time responsible person, to be the person to to have all that all those calculations there and have all that stuff done. Um, other coaches really can do it themselves, but right now what they're doing is not working on that front, and they do need to to figure out what uh, what's going on there and and get that fixed. But I, I'm constantly blown away. I mean, having been on the sideline, I was frustrated at different points. <laughs> being on a staff where, like, guys, we really should be calling timeout right now. Guys, hey, hey, guys, timeout. Like right now would be the time to use it. Uh, this will save us the most time. No, no, no. We'll, we'll wait. <sighs> so, I mean, this, this, this happens. And I've never understood it because I've never thought it was very complicated. But like you said, you watch game after game after game at, at, the, at the college level. It doesn't happen very much at the NFL level anymore. It used to happen frequently even at the NFL level. But those, those guys have, have sort of gotten they've figured that out. The market inefficiency has been figured out enough by the, by, by NFL teams that it doesn't happen as much, but I'm constantly blown away by the basic arithmetic seeming arithmetic inability of a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches at the college level. And I don't think it's been just bad arithmetic all the time for, for this staff, but there, there have been some moments where you go, wait a second, whoa, 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 who, who's paying attention to this? Like who's making the, who's got the chart? Who, who's, who's paying attention to how many timeouts you got and, and uh, how, how the clock's running. Cause it doesn't seem like it's, it's going on enough. And, you know, it's one of those, I'd be happy to offer my services for something like that. Cause that's something I can, <laughs> I seem to be able to do, but I, I don't, um, I, I wish I could answer your question from experience to, to give a better explanation. But to me, I, I just, I'm as baffled as anybody when I, when I see that stuff happening. Yeah, indeed. It's certainly frustrating. Like Greg Barnes, like everybody in the stadium pointed out, if Michael Carter didn't get in the end zone at the end of the first half, they got nothing. And they carry two timeouts into the locker room, if my memory serves. It's just that, yeah. I I mean, people get on Roy Williams about not using timeouts and so on and so forth. 
But Roy, when it comes to late game management and all that, the reason he wants those timeouts is to be able to manage down the stretch like that. And he does a dang good job with it. It does you no good to carry those two timeouts in your pocket at the end there. <laughs> like Jason says, it just doesn't do you any good to go to the locker room with those two timeouts. And it, that was a beautiful drive would be my take on it. That drive was just awesome there at the end of the second quarter. I thought that uh, maybe they had loosened the uh, strings up on Mitch a little bit. He was finding a rhythm. Uh, They were making some nice plays in that drive, and there was a real risk there that if Michael Carter doesn't score with one second left, they walk away from a really good offensive series with nothing. And, you know, that didn't cost them the game uh, for that, see the turnovers. But, uh, you know, we can foresee down the stretch uh, that there's some potential there that if, um, they have some serious clock management issues in a tight ball game. It could end up being the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, and that's something that needs to be shored up. That, like Jason says, 100% on the coaches, uh, the players doing their thing, but the coaches got to be better on it. If Mac is in charge of it, he needs to delegate it uh, to somebody, and that can be their function. They, goodness knows they got enough guys over there that can get it done. I'm going to take a short break, come back. We're going to talk about um, issues that can be cured, maybe issues that can't be. We'll be right back on the Inside Carolina podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, coming back, uh, Buck, it just dawned on me. You said Mitch in that last segment, which is funny. Uh, Sam Howe certainly played a lot like Mitch Trubisky in these first four games of his career, so that bodes well for the future for the quarterback position for North Carolina, but Jason, the offensive line is cobbled together. We've talked about it. And I mentioned something to you off the air. Um, and you certainly corrected me with my lack of football knowledge. I said, is there any way that they could sort of simplify what they're doing on the offensive line? I've, I've seen guys that are pulling, just not get anywhere close to the person they're supposed to block. And we talked about it. You got to get your hands on, the defensive linemen, or they're going to wear you out. Appalachian State used the Wake Forest game plan and then out quick Carolina's size. Your thoughts on the the plan there. What can they do to improve it? I think they'll fare better against bigger guys and, you know, the ACC level guys. But uh, these smallish defensive linemen have given Carolina fits, and I'm just not sure that, pulling guys to get somebody that's much quicker has been very helpful but your thoughts on that yeah it's not a matter of simple or complex there because I mean they're not doing anything complex up front I mean what they're doing is very simple it's it's base level stuff and when you're pulling 
what what that 90% of the time means in college football is your your in football in general is that you're running a gap scheme. So what that means is you're you're going to you're trying to get some double teams at the point of attack and run some power. Be able to get a double team to move a guy, create some some seams that way and then you have somebody pulling because when you double team from from to get a, an extra body at the point of attack, you're going to need to get somebody moving to to compensate with the extra guy that you're going to leave unblocked on the edge there uh, or in in the hole there. You might might lead up sometimes uh, through there, depending on how that's blocked. But that's not complicated. The issue is the execution of it. And you're right. I mean, Carolina has not done a very good job of actually avoiding run-throughs, say, when they when they pull. So a guy will pull, and all of a sudden, you'll see a linebacker run through that uh, that gap that's created by the puller. Or in some cases, you'll see a, a really quick edge guy be able to blow up the, the play in the backfield because the puller doesn't get there in time. And that's just not executing it. That's not getting out there quickly enough. So it's those sorts of things. And yeah, you can you can go to more zone than what they've been running in some cases. You can you can run inside zone. I mean, that, that was Larry Fedora's bread and butter was run inside zone. Uh, but that brings its own problems against a quick defensive line. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it boils down to you have to be able to get your guys able to play with good footwork and good fundamentals to make sure that they're that they're getting their hands on guys who come into their areas. And yeah, it's harder when you're playing against those quick guys. A faster guy is harder to block. And they've but they've just got to do a better job of executing what is a very simple scheme and the thing is when they started to do it right, you saw the results. I mean, that that long drive on the uh uh, in in the third quarter, that ninety eight yard touchdown drive in the third quarter, they they averaged seven point two yards per carry against the same defensive line with the same basic run calls, and they were able to they were able to 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 do it there because they they finally started getting a hat on a hat. They got their hands on the right guys, and fundamentally, they did their jobs. So it's not a matter of simplifying. It's not a matter of of any of that stuff. If anything, I do think they need to find some ways at times in in the current scheme to use the H back a little bit more uh, as a as a blocker. Uh, so get you know get Will Tucker, get some of the other guys in there. I mean, even go twenty one personnel, go go two tight ends at times, uh, two H backs to create some 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 plays with your with your run game if you're having trouble blocking that way sometimes adding the extra blocker yeah it's going to mean there's more guys in the box but now you can you're going to have to find some ways to uh to use that space with your with your outside receivers but i do think going more 21 with tucker and using him as a blocker finding ways to to use the h back uh, to insert if they're if they're starting to run through, and this actually adds some complexity to your offense. So it's going the opposite direction. But if they're starting to get run throughs on a pull or that sort of thing, then you that's where you can use that H back and you you put him in a sniffer position behind the line of scrimmage. And as you have somebody pulling, you have him 
you know, in a wham position or different things for some of those run throughs. Uh, you have him as a as an extra puller. Or you have him be the be the puller, and you you change your 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 assignments just a little bit to eliminate some of those those gaps. That adds a little bit of complexity, and it's harder to to incorporate that stuff. But you know, maybe that's what they need to do a little bit right now, uh, just to get. Again, Tucker is almost like another offensive lineman out there. The more I think they're able to use him in the running game here coming up, uh, the probably the better off they're going to be. Because really, the way this offense has looked so far, they they need to run the football to be effective. I mean, most teams do, but they really they really have been a very different offense whenever they've had any any semblance of a running game and and that's got to be the 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 big priority over the next couple of weeks is making sure that with the current structure of the offensive line that they're going to be able to to find ways to run the football uh and and create some balance so that Howell doesn't have to doesn't get exposed get doesn't get put into situations where you know he's not uh he's not comfortable. And of course with, uh, I don't know how serious the, the injury to Reuter is. It didn't look good. It looked like a, like a probable high ankle sprain from, from where I sat. But, uh, you know, that also hurts because he's a guy that can give you some, some run stuff, uh, from the quarterback position as well. So, you know, it's, they, but they need bottom line to find a way to, to, to get physical and run at the, run the football, even against quicker fronts. But, Phil Longo, like you said, <laughs> he's on the he he's up to get, catch all the heat after these last two games. Um, you know, we've talked about it, can't block, can't play, can't can't do anything. But I like your idea that Javante Williams needs to get more carries, simply for the fact that if if he's your guy that can break tackles the best and and power it through. Uh, that early contact, he's the guy that needs to get a large majority. But your thoughts overall on the play calling, on the adjustments, because I think that coaches get paid a lot of money, but I think they earn their money when they can adapt to situations like Carolina's going through on the offensive line. Buck, your thoughts on that and everything else? Well, I would think as far as play calling goes, my largest concern is when they begin games, um, they start out in the first quarter, you know, with you know, the rare exception of the Miami game or whatever. Uh, they did get a quick touchdown uh, on Saturday uh, after that uh, 75-yard run back uh, by Michael Carter. But as Jason knows, and as just about every you know, offensive coordinator does these days, they are scripting a good number of plays just to start the game. Now, they might change the script here or there based upon a penalty or a sack or something like that. But for the most part, they have planned out, well, these are going to be the first 10 games with maybe some uh, exceptions built in. And almost without exception, North Carolina has started out slow. So I I don't know what that's all about, but it suggests to me that perhaps we're, uh, UNC is not doing a great job in scripting those first plays. I mean, the purpose of scripting those plays is to sort of feel out 
uh, the defense sort of figure out what they're in, you know, what their approach to the game is. But at the same time, you you need to be moving the ball too. That can't be all that it's about. So that's the thing that probably concerns me more about the play calling. Now, some things like uh, that that play where uh, North Carolina went forward on fourth down, they made it, and they're you know in the red zone just a few yards away. And Sam Howe throws that, that pass. It gets batted down by Taylor, who made three really great plays in that game. Um, if he lifts that ball a little bit, puts some air under it, that's six every single time. Bo Corrales was as open as any player I've ever seen. Howe tries to throw it on a, you know, a close line to him. It gets batted at the line of scrimmage. Well, that's not Phil Longo's fault. Let's start there. Um, and and there are several things that happened in the game that uh, really had an adverse impact on the game that had absolutely nothing to do with Phil Longo. Phil Longo didn't cause the fumble that uh, that same kid, 48, ran back for a touchdown. Uh, it, those uh, weren't Phil Longo didn't call in and say, Hey, why don't you fumble the ball so they can go up, you know, another touchdown. So I, I think you've got the, uh, I'm not opposed, uh, to placing blame where it lies, but you have to kind of think about it in some sort of reasonable fashion, exactly what things happened that impacted the game that created this loss. How many of those things did Phil Longo actually impact? And for my money, not very many. Uh, so, you know, it's easy because all of us, me included, you too, Tommy, we all believe that if we were offensive coordinators, you know, we'd score on every single possession. We have all the answers. Um, and so when that doesn't happen, then obviously the offensive coordinator is an idiot. Um, but uh, again, I don't like to harp on the youth part of it, but you know, you've got freshmen and sophomores blocking multi-year starters. I don't care if they're small. Uh, I don't care who they are. They've been playing at Appalachian state in some cases, those, those defensive members, they, they've started two or three seasons. Uh, and when you, you've got guys up there blocking them, um, that's that's going to be a problem. So you know, uh, people you know like to harp on. Uh, you know, I've given offensive coordinators my fair share of grief over the years, and you know that's fair game. But as far as what actually impacted the game yesterday, I, I wouldn't put a ton of it on. Jason, uh, we could call this the Harp on the Negative podcast um, so far, and, and we have. But I do want to ask you this. Uh, the scripting of the plays, describe how that works. Describe the process, at least when you've been involved or had input on that, because I think that is probably the biggest concern I have when you start talking about play calling. In the heat of the battle, and like Buck's saying, where a guy just doesn't execute a play that worked, you know, I personally think stick nod, at least on Madden, works every time. Carl Tucker would be open every time. <laughs> Carolina needs to run that. But – 
talk about that process of scripting plays to open games. With the exception of Miami, Carolina has struggled opening clearly. Uh, I don't think the first play against App State was a scripted play, given that they had such a short field. It was a great play, uh, but I don't think that was on the script. I don't think if they're first and 10 at the 25, they run that same play. Maybe so, maybe not. But just detail us that scripting so maybe our listeners and our Inside Carolina subscribers can get a better idea of what goes into that leading into a ball game. The thing is, it varies pretty significantly depending on team and coordinators. So some coordinators script a lot. Some coordinators don't script. Uh, and some coordinators sort of fall in the middle where they have a loose script uh, that they work from. And Longo's actually less of a scripter than most coordinators out there uh, in terms of how he how he he does things. But generally speaking, just just in broad broad strokes, uh, the basic idea of a script is that you've seen some things on film that. And there's, I guess I got to take one more step back. There's two approaches to scripting that you can take as well. And again, there's a, it's sort of a spectrum in terms of how you do it. But one approach for scripting is that you see some things on film that you want, you want to validate, you want to, you want to take a look at, okay, they've done, they've defended this formation and these kinds of, of, uh, packages of, of substitution packages of personnel, this way and this way and this way. Let's see how they've prepped it and how they're going to respond in this down and distance to this formation and this personnel package in this game. That way I know what I can call on it later. So this is kind of the the first round boxer approach where you kind of come out and you're you're jabbing and you're feeling out your your opponent's game plan a little bit. Uh, And that's that's a pretty common one. Basically we, 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 we like these bread and butter plays, but we're going to, th- we're going to toss this, this, and this formation out there just so that the eye in the sky, the guys in the box can tell me how they responded to what we did here and here. That's pretty, pretty typical. Um, another way of doing it is the, okay, we identified that they do this, this, and this against this look. We're gonna we're gonna come out somewhere in our first drive, and we're gonna try to hit that specific weakness with our best thing, so that we can get an early score. So you know they like to they like to play empty, or, or they like to play. Uh, if we go empty, they like to play uh, zero coverage, and they're bringing the blitz against empty. Well, we have this particular look where we're gonna put our best guy in the slot here, and we're gonna get a one on one, and that's gonna go to the house that you know so you scheme some of that stuff open right away because you know that that's a tendency that they show so you're going to hit that tendency on the nose right away while you can to try to get an early lead so in some combination of the two is normally what you're trying for when you're script in plays you you say okay down in distance i want to know what they're going to do the rest of the game but i also want to try to you know hit them on a weakness or two early to maybe get a, a cheap one so you're trying to pick some stuff like that out. And then during the week, you practice your script. You actually run through your script, those plays, a few extra times because those are going to be default base plays for the week. And you want to come out strong during the week. So uh, 
so then during practice, you're repping those and you often rep them situationally in order. Now, it's not as simple as neither approach is as simple as, OK, we're going to run inside zone. Then we're going to run four verts. Then we're going to run Y cross. Then we're going to run smash. Then we're going to run power. Then we're going to run inside zone. That That's not really how a script is going to work, because what down and distance are, is it? Oh, well, it's, you know third and two well our script says to throw four verts so that's what we got <laughs> you know you you don't you don't do it that way what you do is you have basically it set up so that first first down as long as it's not backed up to the in, you know in the end zone or as long as there's not a long return where we're in our we're in in their red zone here's what we're going to do first second and second and six here's what we're going to do first third and two here's what we're in and so you set those and that's really how you script it as much as as much as anything is you're trying to go okay first down here's my first first down call here's my first second and short call here's my first and and so you run through the script that way so that you have some specific things that you think are going to work and also that you want to take a look at how they respond to over the course of the game and and so i think so far Carolina's been more conservative in their approach to early scripting and their approach to early game planning, I think is really more about it, how they've done it, uh, where they're feeling, feeling things out and they're wanting to make sure that they know what Howell's going to see later in the game. Uh, with the exception of Miami, who Miami was going to come out and play press man. And they decided we're going to go ahead and take some shots downfield because we know that Manny's going to be in press man and our guys can beat his guys over the top. So let's just go ahead and do it. Uh, so I think that that pretty much summarizes the way that this works. And again, against teams that are going to use more of a zone approach and 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 play with uh, a little bit more variety defensively, I think Longo's taken more of the the boxing kind of approach of I I don't want to do anything right now on this dial anything up on this first drive that's going to be special that might get us in trouble. Uh, and you know I think that by and large has been the right approach. Although I would like to see them be a bit more aggressive offensively in terms of, of their overall approach, but that comes from the head coach as well. He's telling his, his coordinator, look, don't lose the game in the first quarter. Don't lose the game in the first half. Let's, you know, let's get to the, get to the weekend. And, uh, and then we can, we can do some things. And I would like to see them be just a little bit more aggressive early. Yeah, that's interesting to your last part there, because um, some would say they might be doing just that, losing ball games in the first half uh, with the approach. I, I don't know. It, it's an execution thing. We can harp on everything else about it, but the bottom line, the guy's got to play. And Buck, in your column, you talk about Jay Bateman and his defense, and certainly not the, the best effort, even though Carolina wins without the turnovers. But I love your analogy. Um, or your your comment that Carolina had App State and they've had other teams backed into a corner and they just let them escape. That goes back to just finishing and just doing your job. Um, four games in, give me your take on Bateman's defense thus far because he's having to cobble together some lineups as well with some injuries to some big-time guys. It, it is tough, but how do you think he's done four games in? I've been very impressed with Jay Bateman's defense. I think he is doing some stuff that 
works well with North Carolina's personnel. He's obviously got to make some adjustments to what he would like to do based on the players that he has available to him. But uh, as I said in the column, uh, and this was probably the one of the few times that I thought the defense at some point lost focus somehow. Uh, I don't know if there was too much talk about uh, they didn't, weren't energetic enough against Wake Forest and they need to put more energy into it. Uh, you know, you, you never know how that sort of conversation with players is going to go. Maybe they come out and, you know, and they're trying too hard. They're trying to demonstrate, yeah, well, we might lose, but I don't lose energetically. Uh, so I, I don't know about that dynamic, but, uh, for this game, more so than um, any other one they've played so far, there, there were times they just seemed to lose focus. And uh, the running back runs, I mean, they really didn't get a lot on the ground except for big plays. And uh, they didn't get a lot in the passing game except for big plays. But at, at a certain point in just about every series that App State had the ball, I know that North Carolina you know, did shut them down on third down several times. But um, too often in this game, they, they had them right where they wanted them. They had them in third and long. And, you know, we talked about that bootleg uh, by the quarterback uh, on their final possession. If North Carolina holds them right there, then – um, all the negatives we've been talking about so far in this podcast seem a lot less negative. If they'd held that guy on um, third down, if he didn't scramble and pick up that first, then North Carolina's got the ball back with, what, 2.30 to go or something like that. It changes everything and only down by three points. So, uh, you know, I think maybe – uh, you know, if, if just looking at it from the outside and not really knowing, I would say there were times they just lost focus. And, and I don't know what's the cause of that, but that's how it looked. Jason, uh, Carolina Clemson Saturday in Keenan Stadium. Carolina loses focus in that ball game. They're going to get blown out and may get blown out anyway. I, I have a feeling it's going to be a little closer than people expect. Don't know, just a gut feeling, but you're the coach of this team. You're Mac Brown. Uh, he clearly was as disappointed as he's been in a post game. Uh, he doesn't want to lose the in-state guys any more than anybody else does. Um, so how do you get your team circled up, get them back focused to face a team that zero people, nobody expects you to even come between from, you know, 21, 28 points. I think the line will be 28 or so. How do you do it in this locker room when you've got guys beaten, battered, and scarred going into uh, the defending national champions or walking into your arena? Well, do the best you can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mom. I mean, uh, all, all, no, all you have to do, I mean, really, it, it, it's stay focused each play and play within your scheme, do your job. That's all you can do. I mean, it's the same against every team. Now, it, your best may not be good enough against some teams, 
but that's really all you can do. And what Buck said about you know them seeming to lose a little bit of focus in this game, I think probably did happen a little bit. Uh, and you know there there were there were some lapses there, a couple missed assignments, and that that's a problem. But uh, I also think that the that the absence of Patrice Renee has sort of bitten them the last couple of weeks, and especially against some vertical routes where you know he he gives them a, a cover guy that that you're pretty secure is not going to get not going to get uh, overpowered on the outside. So yeah, I mean, I, I again against Clemson, the best you can do is try to limit their run game. <laughs> make sure that they don't have a lot of uh, of easy stuff down the field and hope for hope to get some pressure here and there and and uh and and make sure you get your guys doing their job and and compete each play so yeah <laughs> do your job interesting yeah and I, I meant to mention that and i'm about to wrap this show but that play i think it was after carolina had cut it to three and out had the long drive uh, Greg Ross just got manhandled over there on that long pass on the right in front of us, the long pass to their receiver. And I don't think that happens with Patrice Renee out there, uh, but maybe it does. Carolina's got a lot to work on, a lot to get better. They will have a, a very large measuring stick coming into Keenan Stadium, uh, but at least they'll get an up-close personal look at what it means to be elite and if you can't learn from those type games, there's no point in ever playing them. If you want to be there in Keenan Stadium with Buck Sanders and myself and part of the Inside Carolina team watching Carolina and Clemson, you need to enter the ticket giveaway. I haven't mentioned it the entire podcast, but you guys know, know it's coming. Uh, Carolina and Clemson, first year they played, enter the code 1897 for a chance to win two tickets to see Carolina and Clemson in Keenan Stadium. And if you're around, come down to the bowls lot had a great crowd come out uh, intermingle with ic folks intermingle with all our tailgates just a fun time down in the bowls lot yesterday way too many app state fans down there uh, but they were decent until they uh, won that ball game at any rate jason and buck i appreciate you guys taking time to join me on sunday if folks only knew what goes on in the background of these productions it'll, it'll sound good when you get it but it's been a chore this morning Buck and Jason, thanks for joining me. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Tommy. I had a big time in the bowls lot too yesterday. It was fun. Yeah, always a fun time. Maybe we can get Jason back down there. Hoping to do it soon. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.